We're going to do it live. Um, <laughs> All yeah. right. It. We'll do it live. Welcome to 33 Tangents, a weekly podcast featuring a rotating panel of co-hosts that all work together in the same company, but live in different areas of the world. The discussions cover a wide variety of topics from digital analytics to working remotely to current happenings in business and technology. Our regular day-to-day conversations often go off in various directions, and the goal of this podcast is to share our ideas and find new ways to engage with others. button and, and and it's getting worse you know people i think it, it's we're seeing it go that way we've talked about it and this episode's not meant to, to kind of go down that route but we're seeing it get worse P- people are more and more chained to to their desk and like i was talking to suzanne about it the other day in in, in a certain context and i forget exactly what it was but i brought up like and i think i may have mentioned it to you may have mentioned on the podcast like the comp- the first company I was working for out of college, at this point I was probably 23, 24 or so, and they started handing out Blackberries. So this is like mm-hmm. the first or second gen Blackberry. They're starting to hand out Blackberries to everybody in the office. And I'm like, oh, that'd be fun. And you know, at this point, like I'm working for a company of like 50, 60 people, right? And at this point, ha- I-, I had been working there since I was 20. So at this point, like I'm like, I-, I was like assistant manager for the implementation team and stuff like that at this point. And I'm like, Oh, it'd be cool to have, you know, have, you know, see it as a toy. And my boss is, he pulls me into his office. He's like, don't say that. He's like, don't say that. Do not express interest in it. You don't want that. I don't want it. You don't want it. This thing is a tether to the office. And if the president of the company gets word of that, he'll get you one. And what he doesn't tell you though, is, is he expects you to reply to emails at 10 o'clock at night. Yeah. And I'm like, Oh, Okay, I didn't think about it that way. I just thought it was a new cool toy. Yeah, yeah. No, I I, I remember a similar conversation. Although I love the phone that I ended up getting. I, I resisted like the my my team. The first job I had out of college, that was the conversation. Like we're all getting cell phones. I'm like, I don't want a cell phone. Um, and they're like, Yeah, it's the coolest ever. And they all got phones. And then they were on call all the time. Eventually, I broke down and I got one. I can't remember the model. It was blue. It was a blue Nokia. Um, and I, I loved that phone and it, uh, I had it for, I probably, I may still have it to this day. I, I, I remember like just getting ridiculed for it. I remember, I, I think I was at a, uh, Omniture. It was, it was not summit, but it was some sort of activity associated around summit in Salt Lake. I, I don't know. I think the year was like 2007 or eight. Um, and I have my little Nokia, um, and, uh, everyone else, <laughs> we were, we were in this like classroom type setting where we were all sitting at like these long kind of tables and, uh, everyone pulled out their iPhones or their smartphones and set it down on the table. And I pulled out my Nokia and set it down on the table. And it was, really, <laughs> and I remember, I remember it was really quiet in the room and literally like I watched everyone grab their phones, kind of, I probably put it on silent, put it on the table and they had their smartphones and I was sitting next to Hila and she'd put her smartphone down on the table and I pulled out my little Nokia and I set it down on the table next to her. And I think she laughed and the room was like totally quiet. <laughs> I'm like, I love the simplicity of that phone. 
Yeah. Well, I mean, like when my phone broke back in the fall, uh, my son decided to toss it onto the kitchen floor. He got a hold of it and then tossed mm-hmm. it. And like, it wasn't even the screen crack, like the LCD died. You just saw like the column of, L, you know, of yeah. up pixels on the one side. And then that was it. I was actually debating getting a dumb phone. I really was like, I mean, I was, I was on the fence on what to do. Yeah. And I ended up just getting like the entry level iPhone just because there's some apps I do need for, for, for work. Yeah. But I'm like, yeah, like I was actually really thinking about getting like a really basic phone to make phone calls and text people. And that was it. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, it sounds nice. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. Um, and I'm wondering, can you run, can you run two phones? It does. Like, can, can you run two phones where you can have it ring on both phones or can you only have one active phone? I mean, it probably depends upon your provider and there's probably a level of forwarding. Maybe you, you may need two lines and then yeah. one forwards to the other. It just sounds uh, so nice to have it. But then I think about it and I'm like, my phone is my key for so many different things and like my remote control and mm-hmm. yeah. So Blessing I didn't do it. Um, yeah. but I am thinking about getting a new iPad right now, you know, where we kind of kick this off and I didn't, didn't hit the record button yet. Thinking about getting a new iPad though, you know, so I can step away from the desk at times and just sit and just try, you know, go somewhere else for, you know, to try to spark the creativity yeah. instead of sitting there with the laptop, just sitting there with something where I can jot down notes and organize them. But it, it, it's not necessarily a, a computer in front of me. Yeah. I've been, I've been having similar thoughts cause I don't have right now. And it's, it's actually been nice. I don't have a laptop. Yeah. You've got the Mac mini. I've got the Mac mini and it's been really nice because I got to be in the office to work. I can't drag it around with me, but I, I do miss that flexibility and, and hopefully soon we can start traveling a bit and mm-hmm. you know, I'll need to stay connected. And so I've been, I've been debating like, do I, do I, do I get like a lightweight, laptop or do i get like a beefy tablet like what do what do i end up getting so yeah i'll be interested mm-hmm. to see what you what you get and what you think about it yeah i'm, I'm gonna I'm, I'm i'm debating it right now you know what, what to do mm-hmm. um so but speaking of what to do let's talk about what to talk about today so this is the first time we've we've done this um so a couple of days ago you put the message out on linkedin you know, I, I thought it'd be interesting to to see what questions listeners have. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, it's our first time trying this. So you put it out there that you and I were going to jump in the podcast studio today. You know, what kind of questions do you have that you would like to see us discuss? And we, we got a few of them, which was really yeah. nice. Yeah, and I think I think the... We got a the, couple good ones. Yeah, I think you, we could riff on those two for easily, in, easily an hour. Um, yeah. What... Need to figure out how to get more kind of visibility. Um, I, I was a little saddened by the lack of responsiveness. Um, so maybe I need to do a better job of that. Maybe if I wasn't taking a Twitter hiatus, I would have got more interaction on Twitter. We'll, we'll see. But the questions that we did get are, I think, are really not simple, like one one minute answer questions. They're, they're oh, questions yeah. that you can really dive into. So I'm happy to kind of riff on those. Yeah. Uh, which one do you want to start with? Oh, it doesn't matter. Let's see. I had them pulled up. Let's start with Cleves. 
Okay. You want to you want to read it out, or you want me to read it out? Uh, actually, I don't. I forgot to bring it up before we started recording. Okay, if you've got it up, yeah. So, so Cleve, who is director of implementation over at, at Marriott, um, threw this out. Said uh, the challenge of explaining to execs how analytics implementation is never done. It's an ongoing, always evolving project, which requires dedicated and constant resources above and beyond that which is needed to just add new marketing tags or the occasional new you know, variable EVAR event. Um, and then he, he commented, fortunately for him, his he's in a situation where his executive team really understands this, but he's worked with and seen so many who don't. I think he's probably the exception to the rule. Um, yes. I, I would say, at least from, from what we see, is that um, my, mo- most don't see it that way. Um, most see it as a you know, we, we pay Sapient, uh, you know, half million dollars to come deploy our analytics implementation, and then it's done. Um, and it's it's not done. And I should dig up, because uh, I think it was fairly well received. Um, I did a presentation at one of ObservePoint's virtual events three or four years ago on the importance of maintain, maintenance and um, taking care of an implementation. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think it was is uh, a topic that was well received, especially within the implementation crowd, because we we all see it and we all know it, yet rarely is there budget, is there monetary budget, is there a time-based budget where those things can be taken care of from a pure maintenance perspective. Um, but above and beyond that, looking at it as a living, breathing thing is is often not seen by executives. And I think part of the challenge is it's not how it's sold, right? Um, you, you don't want to sell that you have to maintain these things because then you start to question, so, wow, how many people am I going to have to have yeah. to maintain this? And how much budget am I going to have to put outside to maintain this? So rarely is that a conversation that comes up in the sales process. And so unless you have someone that's part of that sales team um, on the buyer side that really understands it, it doesn't come up. And then it only comes up later when you hand it off to your team and they're like, well, wait a minute, <laughs> this is, this isn't one of those one and done things. Like, what, what are you talking about? I mean, our, the sales exec over at XYZ analytics corp said it was like, we just slap a tag on our page and we're done. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, it's rarely the case. So because we see that, you know, Cleve as being the exception where his management team understands that there's the, it's never done. It's always evolving. Um, what what advice would you have? You're 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 kind of down in the weeds um, with a lot of complex implementations, some new, some very very old. Um, how do you have that discussion with companies? And I think it's twofold. How do you help them understand the need to prioritize the fact that it needs to be constantly changing? It, you know, it's not something you just set and forget. It needs to be constantly updated as your site and business matures. Um, but then there's also just the fact that there's just general maintenance required. So as, as things age, let's, let's talk about Adobe or Google analytics. Um, we may not think that there's been a lot of innovation over the past few years, but if you go back and look at the code base versions, there's been massive innovation. And so, you know, if you don't keep up with the changes, you're losing functionality, you're losing ability to track. And, and not only that, being able to respond to things like ITP and different browser regulations. So there's always something. Um, so I'm interested in your take with the companies you worked with, you know, what, what kind of strategy do you put in place? How do you help sell that message to the executive team that this is an ongoing thing? 
Mm-hmm. So, so he's got a great question. And I actually think there's another side to it, which is not the situation he is in. You know, it's if we look at the two difficult positions you can get into is either, you know, the implementation is seen as one and done, so it quickly ages, or the imp- implementation itself is is ill-defined, so the project just lingers. Like, there's never an endpoint of initial implementation is done. Now we're going to start planning either future phases or we're going to start making sure that what we built is accurate and is adopted, then we start looking at, at future things. So both of those are not good situations to be in, and, and neither are what, what, what Cleve is, is, is saying, like the situation he's in with, with his leadership understanding what it takes to implement and then maintain that implementation. And as you were talking, I was thinking about like implementation itself is not well-defined. It's both a verb and a noun in a way, you know, we're implementing it and then we refer to the implementation itself. So I I think the advice I give is, is, you know, looking to actually define how implementation is used as a, as a word, because then I think that provides clarity. There's the act of implementing it, which is the initial project to deploy it. But then after that, it's, the implementation itself, the noun, which is the foundation of your analytics data collection and potentially um, data collection for for other tools as well. So that's where we start at is defining what are we actually doing? We, we, are, we are spinning up, in this case, coming into, say, a, a fresh client. We're spinning up a project to build the initial, you know, to uh, initially implement the base requirements for the analytics platform. And then from there, we work on actually adopting it and then moving on to further enhancing it. So as we go through adoption, we come to find like people uh, have more complex questions to ask. So do we need to further enhance it or, or not? Um, then coming into to an organization where an implementation is in place, it's understanding like, did they not define well, like what the initial project was pl- then as compared to say, post-project, and then what does the ongoing, um, you know, what, what do the ongoing steps look like? What what do you think is the um, the best way to sell the value of that into executives? Because I think the onus is, is on the analytics team to, to do that. Um, I, I think it's probably an unfair expectation just to sit back and say, well, you know, whoever's approving my budget knows that this is important. So I'm just going to get the budget. Obviously we see that that doesn't happen nine times out of 10. What, what types of conversations should an analytics manager, uh, a director of implementation, what should they be having with their higher ups as, as part of the conversation of why this is important and why they need time budget funding to, to maintain the implementation. Mm-hmm. Um, because the site is not static. That, that, that's the first thing. And that's the most obvious thing to go after is the site is site is not static. Your customer needs are not static. Um, what you're going to be doing to the site is not static. So in that case, your data collection, um, as, and the data distribution to your various tools and if we're focusing specifically on analytics, those needs are not going to be static. 
you're going to need to have you know a- analytics and this is where you, co- you you go right up against you go with the most obvious use case the most obvious argument to go right up against that argument of oh you slap this this batch of code up on the site and you're good to go you're done right because you you already call that out like that, that that's the easy sales pitch put this line of code up our tool is implemented and you're collecting data um if you want data that is tailored if you do not want data that is tailored to your site tailored to how your customers use your site tailored to how you want the customers and how you're driving the customers to engage with the site then that is fine if you want an analytics if you want to be able to perform analysis to understand how customers are using the site and are your tactics to push the customers to perform certain actions uh, you know pushing your customers to not just you know if you're an e-commerce site not just check out as a guest but create an account build a wish list you know those kinds of things um, what what people are are searching for and, and whatnot if you want to be able to understand how customers are interacting, what signals they're providing to you based on how your site functions, then you your the implementation itself cannot be static. It yeah. needs to flow with the product development team. Yeah, I, I think that's an ideal place to start um, because I think there are some very tangible stories that you can you can tell around the impact of that. And I don't even think they need to be what ifs. I'm guessing that you can pull out of your own experience examples of why not doing this has broken in the past. And you can go to your leadership team and say, with you know, a couple of different sides of that coin, hey, remember when the CEO wanted to know about that new feature that we launched and we couldn't because, you know, we were, were not doing updates to the implementation. And so we have just basic tracking, but we couldn't answer his questions. That sucked, right? Well, mm-hmm that that's that's a product of us not investing in this as a living thing that needs to be constantly evolving and changing or on the flip side of that you know remember when we had that investor call and you wanted all this data about what our consumers were doing on our site but we couldn't give it to you because our tracking was broken because we've had five site releases since we did our implementation and we haven't touched it since then and now all the tracking's broken that sucks you know that's a product of us not investing in keeping our implementation solid and seeing it as a living thing that needs to constantly evolve as our site evolves. So mm-hmm. I, it, it's, it's interesting to me because I, I'm guaranteeing that if we have implementers listening to this episode, they're nodding their head right now because yep. every single one of us has been in that position where we've been told, quote unquote, we don't have the budget or the time to really be investing in in maintenance we have too much other stuff to do and then on the exact same flip of it being told wait a minute why don't we have this data that we need for this very important meeting well because our tracking is broken because we don't have time to invest in it you know the answer to that yeah and and like i said from the start like this is the most obvious argument and in some cases it, it wins over leadership sometimes to you know you have to like you said give examples or call them out when they happen of when the organization has tripped and fallen because they, they, they weren't listening or weren't paying attention um, to, to the implementation as, as the site changed. So this is the, this is the easiest argument. And because of that though, is it, it's not going to win everybody over because I've made this argument and organizations have still plowed forward because the, a lot of times the, the typical rebuke is, well, the reason we're investing in those site features is because we're expecting them to, to 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 have direct revenue impact, 
analytics does not have a direct revenue impact. So the, the cost is, is just not justifiable. The cost in having people maintain it, whether you need developer updates to make sure the data is available for your analytics platform, having someone on your analytics team to manage it, we can't justify it. So they just, they just plow forward. Now, again, there's ways to, to come back at that argument, but you know, you mentioned implementers listening. There's also those that are saying, yep, I've also heard that rebuke too. when I've tried to make this argument. Yeah. How, how much of this do you think is a problem or a challenge? Because a lot of implementers are Richard rather than Tommy boy. Do you know the scene I'm thinking of? In Tommy I haven't boy. watched it in ages. <laughs> so there's a scene where, where Richard and, and Tommy are at, um, at one of their prospects trying to sell brake pads and Richard's going on and on about all these technical nuances and details. And, and, and the guy's like, look, look, son, I have no idea what you're talking about. And, and Tommy boy jumps in and is like, let me, let me talk straight with you and let me give it to you. And I'll love what you can understand. And the guy's like, you know, that's what I needed to hear. I'm going to have to see if I can dig up the clip. Yeah, um, you have to dig that up. How much of it do you think is a problem of communication? Because a lot of implementers, maybe not a lot, a good, a good percentage, though, um, are siloed in that technical world, and that's what they speak, and they're un, either unable or unwilling to adjust their speech patterns and approach based on who they're talking to. And I've seen this at massive billion-dollar companies where you have an implementer talking to uh, a VP of marketing or a CMO talking about like, well, this is why this doesn't work because, you know, this technical component and this data layer, and then we the page load time. And you're, you're, you're guilty or. I, I still make this mistake to this day. Like I, there are times where I catch myself too late as the words are coming out and I'm like, no, I shouldn't have said that. I just killed it. I just killed. Like I've, I've done that. Um, yes. I think that is, is a fair portion of this yeah. because Analytics implementers are, are are passionate. They, you know, they, they they love what they do. They enjoy building and designing this. And because of that, they're they're in the weeds. Yeah. And um, I think they they get they get too in the weeds with trying to make this argument to senior management. And because and and the the reason why I know I still trip myself up doing this at times, I think I've gotten better in recent years, but I still do from from time to time trip up is you feel like you're oversimplifying it too much. Yeah. And it's, you know, by trying to, 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 to simplify it, you do it too much, which, you know, either takes away value or doesn't fully explain it. Because, I mean, I, I, I guess, and the common thing that trips me up is when someone says, can we do this? Well, the answer is yes, we can. I jump three steps ahead, yeah. but we have to do X, Y, and Z, which then makes the, you know, it, it kills, again, the conversation saying, yes, we can do that. And then, you know, the, there's some other details we need to get into later, later, but yes, we can do that. Yeah. And this is kind of getting off off topic a little bit, but I do think it's an important conversation, and I do think it plays it plays into it. Um, in that, if your implementer is of that mindset and is the one fighting for budget and prioritization, I, I can see why that conversation probably isn't going anywhere. Um, so, as an implementer, 
Um, that is either a skill you need to invest in, in having or a conversation with your management team say, look, we need someone in this role that can bridge the gap between the business and, and, and implementation so that we're properly articulating what it is that we need, we do, the impact. Um, and I'm, I'm laughing even saying this in my head. I'm thinking about uh, office space. Like, so what, what do you what do you do here? You take the spec from the engineer and give it to the, like, well, why, why can't they just hand it directly? It's like, look, I got people skills, damn it. And, and we all laugh about it, but it's, it's true. It's true. And it's, it's necessary. And I think back to a couple scenarios. One, my first job out of college, I was the engineer and I was never invited to the meetings. And I'm like, why, why, why are we having to communicate with the business analysts who then get to go sit in on all these top level strategy meetings? They're just pretty boys. We're the one that has the answers. And it didn't hit me until later. It's like, because we don't know how to talk in those meetings and we would have completely sabotaged what our team was trying to do. It's not that we didn't have the intelligence or the smarts or we knew what was working, but we didn't know how to translate that conversation to the level that it needed to be had at. And, you know, fast forward many years and I still hadn't learned that lesson because I had developed those skills. And I, I think I may have mentioned this on a previous episode, but, um, I was working with our internal statisticians to build some, some models. Um, and I really was excited with their work. So I invited them to a monthly meeting that I led um, with the CEO, the CMO and the CTO. And I, and I brought in the statisticians, they gave their presentation. And at the end uh, they, they left and went back to work to work. And the CEO pulled me aside. He's like, never bring them in here again. <laughs> waste of our time it's not that they are not brilliant and smart but they lack the ability to translate the message to a level that we can understand and then take action on that's that's why you're here you're you're you can you can have that conversation for us so you know it is it is critically important and i do think it's not all of it i mean part of part of the the struggle with maintaining or paying for maintenance is just the overall struggle that these analytics organizations are just woefully underfunded as it is. Um, but, but part of it is, uh, and I've, I've used the analogy is that part of it is, is that most analytics organizations are still at the little card table that they put next to the big formal table at Thanksgiving where they put the kids in the overflow. That's where we're at. Um, and you know, we, we have to change a lot of things to get off of that table to help solve some of these challenges. Um, any more thoughts on that? We can, we can talk about uh, Nils question next. Yeah. I mean, it was it, anything to kind of, kind of wrap that up. Yeah. I think to, to your point, analytics is, is still at the kid's table. It's, it, it's seen as secondary in many organizations, especially when you have an organization that is, um, you know, driven by, by it. Um, and it's nothing malicious on their side. It's just when you're working with, with with an IT team and an organization driven by IT, it's they need something that is easy to maintain, uh, something that works, is um, uh, get, is is done quickly. Um, so they, they they just see analytics as extra. You know, this is this is data. Like we need to worry about the the function behind it. Uh, and not necessarily measuring it. We need to worry about the now, not, you know, actually being able to, to measure it going forward. Yeah. So it, it, it's, 
it, it's one of those things. It, it's it's the different types of organizations. And I think this, honestly, I think one way to wrap this up is to help make this argument. It comes back to what we've been talking about since the start of the year, which is the concept of sustainable analytics. You've really, you've really started, you know, pushing for this topic. And I think one of the reasons why some organizations are hesitant to do there is because you also have implementers that go in and want to implement everything. It's this massive thing to get it off the ground instead of focusing on what are the core things we need to do to start showing value to the business and then slowly enhancing them from there instead of trying to build everything from that right out of the gate. Yeah. Yeah. Patience is important. You know, and, 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 I mean, I say implementers, but I mean, I've also worked with business owners and clients where I've had to try to bring them back to say, no, we, we can't, you know, Im- implement everything or like trying to do all of this right out of the gate. It's, it, it's going, it, it's potentially going to be half ass, like trying to test all of this right at launch is going to be difficult. So is, is it all going to be working? It's going to be hard to tell, you know, we may not know right away instead of focusing on the most important things. And, you know, I'm, I'm focused, you know, I'm thinking of a client that we, we helped them launch a new site like three, three and a half years ago. They wanted you know, they, it's our primary stakeholder wanted everything right at launch and it was trying to reel him back in and be like, no, like we should actually just slow down, you know, implement what we need to implement, you know, get that out the door, make sure it's working. And then we move on to, yeah. to additional things. Yeah. He also oversold analytics to the organization. So <laughs> it happens. They, yeah. So yeah, let's move on to Neil's question. Okay. Um, so this is a question from Neil. He's uh, he's an independent analytics consultant who's been around for, for quite a while. Um, his, his question was, have you ever had a client engagement where once you looked at the implementation, the realization is that the person who did, uh, who did it did not know what they were doing? Um, how did you present this to leadership? Uh, lately my clients, the tags and GTM had to be rebuilt and I had to teach them my method. Um, so for sure that has happened. Yeah. Yes, it it absolutely has happened. And I mean, I think there's a couple parts I want to, to, to go into a couple different things to unpack with this, because this does also tie into what we've talked about before. Like why does analytics never seem to get past a certain stage? Analytics as an industry and, it's not what Neil is talking about, but it's definitely worth addressing with this with this conversation. That that being when people move, they come in and just, you know, demolish what was there, get something half built and then move on. And then someone comes in and demolishes it. That's not what he, he is talking about, but I do want to address it. So we'll come back to that in a second. So to answer Neil's question, yes, absolutely. We have seen it. And when I read this question, I thought of a project that you and I worked on. Oof four years ago and you know in in tag managers uh, i've seen two different methodologies you know where it's like every tag and every possible version of that tag has its own role which that is a nightmare to maintain and also just it's not an optimized tag manager but then this client went the complete opposite way where like they boiled everything Adobe Analytics, Adobe Target, a bunch of marketing tags down to three roles. And it, you could tell it was built by a developer and all of the logic was built in custom code. So any kind of issue, any kind of change to the site, you had to go in and understand how the developer wrote it um, and how to change it in there. 
So that was one I remember us going in there and saying like, no, this is actually not the way to do this. Like this one rule should be 10 different rules. You know, I'm not saying, you know, it could even be 30, but don't go that far. But this should be 10 different rules. So it becomes just easier to maintain. Um, that So, yes, definitely have seen that. And it's when you have those conversations, you don't always want to. That's the immediate thing to go to. Because then the, the thing that you potentially um, ignite in that stakeholder is, is great, I paid them. You're telling me it doesn't work. Now I need to pay you to not just rebuild it, but demolish it and rebuild it or retrofit it. I'm not spending any more money on this. I'm done. And now that's the extreme. But like it's I, – when I have that conversation, I don't take it lightly. Um, like I, I – you need to have a very strong argument as to why with like concrete examples of where – the way it's done is, is impacting the business. Yeah. It's such a really valuable question. Um, it's one that many of us face and will continue to face. We, we face it a lot from a consulting perspective because we're, you know, in so many different implementations. Uh, but even practitioners, as you move jobs, um, you, you see it and, and how you respond to it is, is critically important. I think early on, I really struggled with this because I didn't want to be seen as like nitpicking. I didn't want to be seen as negative. I didn't want to be seen as like egotistical. It's like, oh, I could do it better than them. Uh, and I surely didn't want to be seen as, you know, just creating FUD to sell more services. And so I often shied away from it and and kind of erred on the side of maybe giving too much credit for a good implementation that wasn't. And, um, I think at least once I've been severely bitten by that, where not being transparent in what was actually happening ended up costing us. You know, number one, it was a, a bad implementation, yet we sold it. And it's like, oh, no, the, you know, your, your analytics implementer did a fantastic job. Um, and then every time we tried to do something, we said, well, we can't do it because this is bad. We can't do it because this is broken. Like, well, what are you talking about? Um, that, you know, you, you told us this implementation was, was solid. Um, and ultimately I think we ended up losing trust because, you know, we, we, we told them it was good. We told them their implementer was good when in the end it, it really wasn't. So, you know, I think that's something that you have to, to balance in that you, you definitely don't want to attack individuals. You definitely don't want to come at it as a, well, my way is always better than everyone else's. Um, but I also think there needs to be a level of transparency where if you're being brought in as an, in as an expert and you're not um, willing to have those conversations about what's working, what isn't, it puts you in a really difficult spot to own a, maybe a bad implementation that was never yours to begin with. From, from my perspective, it's a very delicate balance of having to be truthful and honest about I'm, I'm coming at this from my expertise and, and experience, and this is what I see, but not being seen as just someone that's being overly negative or someone that's coming in as a, well, my way is the best way, you know, no questions asked. It's a delicate balance. And, and I was saying, and I don't know if it cut out there or not, but I was saying I erred on the side of, you know, not, not nitpicking, not calling out where there were problems and, and it has and you got bit, me, right? It got bit. So yeah. 
I, I've definitely become more comfortable in being transparent um, because it's it's needed, and I think everybody ultimately wins in that scenario. But I am very cautious in my words and how I choose to present that. But um, I'm I'm much less in a place where I would kind of gloss over and help maybe save a previous implementer. Um, mm-hmm. But another thing to add, um, and I'm going to let you respond before I go into it, because there is another lens that we need to look at this under. Yeah, I and mean, I wonder if that's where um, I'm thinking of taking the, the conversation too, because because you're absolutely right. It, it, it's it, it's something you need to be careful about. You don't want to immediately jump to it, because where I started this question from is something you and I have tried to to talk about and tackle. And obviously, we can't be the you know. It, it's one thing to talk about it, but it's it's still something within the the industry is you know people coming in and if it doesn't meet like exactly the way they would do it, you know tearing it down and and rebuilding. So you're constantly in this in this state of of rebuild. Yeah, it, it to that kind of to that point. And the reason why I think that happens is well, probably twofold. One. There, there is a bit of an ego at play where it's like, well, this is the way I do it and it's always the best way. And we've seen that. We've mm-hmm. seen that in, in companies where, you know, they'll hire someone. They're like, well, this is what I did at my old company. I'm like, well, yeah, but you worked in travel and tourism and this is e-commerce. So, yeah, there's some lessons to learn, but you can't just replicate what you did at a hotel on an e-commerce site. Um, yeah. So, I, you know, I think part of it is that ego play where it's like, well, my way is the best way. Um, but I think that the bigger part of it, and this is kind of where I was going with it is, is that it's, it's incredibly complicated. It's incredibly difficult. And I'm not talking about putting code on a page difficult. And even the, you know, the challenges we have with like tagging a single page application or mobile apps, I'm not talking about that at all. I'm talking about having to work within a very, very complex business ecosystem that is the complicated part. And it's one of the things that I've always had in the back of my mind. In fact, I tell companies straight up when they ask me, you know, I often get asked, you know, what, what do you think about our implementation? What, what do you think this looks like? You know, did, our, did the guy that did this implementation know what he was doing? And I always caveat it with, I'm going to give you my perspective. I'm not going to hold any punches, but I also appreciate the fact that I'm coming in from a completely uninformed perspective as to the challenges that your technology, your business have at play here. And, and that's one of the things that I don't think we, we, we think about a lot. It's easy to come in and say, man, this implementer was an idiot. They didn't know what they were doing. I always put an asterisk on and say, I don't know. I don't know the pressures they were under. I don't know how little bandwidth they had. I don't know they were being asked to do a million other things. I don't know that they were necessarily working in a toxic environment and trying to, we don't know. And and the one thing we do know from working with hundreds of businesses over the years is they're all unique and they are all incredibly complex to navigate. And so we, we you know do have to give a little bit of a nod to say, yeah, in a perfect scenario, in a sterile lab, this implementation's not good. I would give it an F. What we don't know is that we didn't develop this in a sterile environment, a lab. We developed this in the real world that's messy. The real world is always messy. And so we have to take that into consideration when we're evaluating any implementation. 
And I think, and you know, I think a lot of the time new implementers or analytics managers that are hired, um, don't have, have not had that experience to be able to make that decision. And so it ends up in a lot of times the scenario you described, well, this implementation is crap. So I'm going to rip it down and rebuild it the right way because they're coming at it as I can build this perfect. Again, they're coming at it from a perspective of not understanding all of the challenges that their predecessor had and just how incredibly difficult it was to do that in a very messy environment. For sure, they probably can learn some things and make changes and bring their experience. But I think they're making a, a, a massive mistake by not taking into consideration the fact that their predecessor had to work in a very messy environment that they're not evaluating. And so not saying that ripping it down and restarting isn't an answer sometimes. It absolutely is. But it's not the answer all the time. And it's and it's made the that that decision is made far too often because there's a there's a desire of the new implementer, the new analytics manager to leave their mark and do it their way. And what ends up happening, they replicate a lot of the stuff they said was crap in the beginning because they didn't address the challenges in the messy business that their predecessor had to go through. And if anything, they put themselves in an even more difficult position because they've promised, well, if I did it and I did it my way without the context that you're talking about, we would be in a better position. We would be here yeah. instead of here. And then when they get in there and they find those things that you're talking about, well, then, you know, they're, 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 they're backed into a corner and have to explain well, okay, I didn't understand this and I didn't understand that. And it's hard to get to this data. For sure. For sure. So, I mean, my, my, my two things to recap of this would be, um, be truthful and honest. Um, don't, don't necessarily go into attack, but if there are problems, address the problems, talk, talk to it as a, you know, these are the challenges we have. I've looked at our implementation, um, and here are 10 critical things that are happening. And here's the impact it's having on the business or our ability to understand our customers. I think that's a very healthy approach. The, the, the toxic, not so healthy approach is to come into it and say, now this is a completely crappy implementation. Whoever did this didn't know what they were doing. It's a completely unfair um, conclusion for us to draw. Unless we truly know, again, who it was, the pressures they were under, the messiness that they had to deal with, it's completely unfair for us to come to that conclusion and it offers very little value to us or the company. And so again, my recommendation would be be truthful, be honest, but shine a light on the issues and the impacts and how we can solve them and and stay away from putting an evaluation that on it that, you know, this person obviously didn't know what they were doing because it's just too far, too far to go, I think. Those were our two questions. Um, I think they were, they were good questions. I, you know, I have this, I have this dream and I don't know if it will ever happen, but I would lo love to like one day do a live podcast. Um, it's on my list for this year, right? Like throw it up on, on one of the streaming platforms um, and, and see if we can make it go. Cause I think, I think it would be really, really fun um to be able to to do something like that where we do this live and have these questions come in because i think it you know it kind of keeps us thinking 
Um, it keeps us away from that kind of being too scripted. Um, and I would love to just have the ability to, to interact with, with folks, um, in the community and kind of a live session. So I, my, my fear is just, we won't have enough people interested in, in joining to do something like that, but man, you got to start somewhere. I think if we, if we, if we put it out there, you know what, maybe, you know, this was good. I was great taking questions. So maybe what we do is we try to do a live one a month and we put it out there, you know, on on this day, two weeks ahead of time, put it out there. Like we're actually going to do this one live. Yeah. Um, we're going to do it live. Um, (laughs) I'll write it. We'll do it live. Yeah. Still, still, uh, still, still a great clip. Like what? 20 years later, 25 years later, maybe 30 years. That's exactly. a cold clip. Yeah. No, I don't think it's that long. Really? Um, but, uh, I'm going to look it up. Yeah. Like maybe we do it once a month. Okay. Yeah. Maybe we do a, a, a live recording once a month and, um, you know, with, you know, we, we got to start with from somewhere, you know, we got to start somewhere and, you know, it, we're, you know, we're not going to get a ton of people right away, but if we can start, to, if we do it on the regular, then, you know, that's how you start to build momentum. Mm-hmm. So I guess we should do right, it. We're going to do it. We're going to do, do it. Let's see. What's the platform that I downloaded? What's the one uh, that the gamers use? Oh, I forget. I, I, I downloaded Twitch? it too. And tried- I think it's Twitch. 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 Okay. Yeah. Twitch is one of them. There's another one Hila sent. This one can do live streaming. So what we would do is we would just use this platform um, and just hook it up to like YouTube and a couple of the other platforms. And then I got a panel off here to the side where I can see live comments coming in. So I don't know when the video came out, but Bill O'Reilly left Inside Edition in 1995. Was, I thought it was from his Fox News show. No, like the, no. No, it goes back to Inside Edition. Yeah. Oh, okay. So it is older than I thought. Yeah. The clip may not have come out for many, many years after that. But mm-hmm. but yeah, that's a pretty, that's so good. There's been so many remakes. My favorite one is Stewie from Family Guy. Have you seen him do it? Uh, no, I haven't <laughs> seen that one. Okay. After we're done here, I'll send it to yeah, yeah, send it to me after we're done. Perfect. Like, stu- it's so spot on. It's so funny. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, this was fun. This was fun. It, it was fun to get some, some questions. And yeah, I think it, um, it, it's great to hear other people's perspectives. So yeah, I think yeah. coming out of this, we're, we're going to start doing a live one. Yeah. And we do we'll it. start sharing it with folks and yeah. so we can start getting some comments. Yeah, that would be cool. All right, man. All right. Well, happy Friday. Yes. And uh, we'll catch everybody later. See ya. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of 33 Tangents. If you enjoyed what you heard, please rate and review the show on your favorite podcast aggregator so others can find us. If you would like to reach us, you can do so by emailing podcast at 33sticks.com or on the web at 33tangents.33sticks.com. 33 Tangents is a production of 33 Sticks, an analytics boutique.